0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, Price and Coverage Match Limited by State Law.
1: Log Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. Dr. Low Radio. Thanks again for tuning in to another show. I am your host, Dr. Lauren Noel, naturopathic doctor here in San Diego. I work with patients locally here and all over the country. Thanks for your listens and your support. And I just have to say, I went on iTunes recently and read some of the reviews, and it warms my heart. Thank you so much for your feedback and loving the show and sharing it with your friends. I know we're spreading some really good health information and helping a lot of people. Uh, Let's see. Next week's show is going to be called, So, You Want to Be an ND? One of the most common questions I get, I guess the most common topics for emails is, Hey, Dr. Lowe, I love the show. I'm really into natural medicine. I think I want to become an ND also what do you think about schools? How much would I make for income? Uh, what do I need to do to be prepared? I mean, I get these questions all the time, and it's so inspiring, and I love getting these emails, but I really think in order to serve you guys best, it's it's probably best to do a show on it, give you all the details, interview some doctors and different specialties, and show you you know all the options you have in this field. I have to say, I have never regretted becoming a naturopathic doctor. It is the most rewarding job, and Pretty much since I even knew about it as a profession, I was just on fire. I just felt like something inside of me just aligned, and I knew it was exactly what I was supposed to do. And if you have that feeling inside of you, you have a passion for it, and it's one of those things you just can't stop reading about naturopathic medicine. You want to learn as much as you can about nutrition and health and you know, understanding the root causes of disease, and, and you're passionate about helping people, and you want to be as healthy as you can. It's just it's an amazing field. So check out that show. that will be next Tuesday at 6 p.m. I'm currently um, kind of I'm finalizing the, the guests that I'm going to have on the show, but it'll, it'll show you, you know, what are the classes that are required to be a naturopathic school, how long is the education, how much does it cost, what's the average income, um, and the ways that you can, you know, bring your passion to this profession and create the kind of career that you want. Um, so that'll be a great show. Other future shows. Let's see here. I got my schedule right in front of me. I'm also going to have Dr. Uh, O'Brien back on the show the week after. He is the one of the world's leading gluten experts. He is amazing. He's actually local to me here in Encinitas, so I'm lucky that I get to see him. Um, and we're going to be talking about your brain on fire. So many of of our foods that we're eating and different, you know, factors in in the environment and lifestyle factors are creating really inflamed brains. We're going to talk about what these things are, what you can do from a natural perspective. We're to talk about dietary triggers like gluten and dairy and how you can get these things tested for and what you can do about it. So that will be a really great show. And then I'm going to be doing a show on Chinese medicine coming up and interview a local acupuncturist and how you can use Chinese medicine techniques for your health too. So lots of really cool stuff. Tonight's show is a very fun topic. I have to say I probably grossed out a lot of people on my email newsletter and I would, the title was Fecal Transplant Say What? And I had so many people write back like, that's hilarious. You're hilarious, Dr. Lowe. You poop doctor. You poop queen. I really take that title very endearingly. I like being the poop queen because when people have a really healthy bowel movement, I want them to think about me because that is showing that they are digesting their food well. They have great elimination. It's, it's healthy. You're supposed to have healthy poops. And when it doesn't go right, there's something going on, so it's worth looking at. Um, I probably get too many text messages about people's poop, but I'll take it. Um, so, uh, by the way, if you guys are not on my email newsletter list, go on over to my website, drlaurennoel.com and sign up for email updates, and you will be hearing from me. I only email about once a week or so. So for tonight's show, I'm actually interviewing a colleague of mine, someone who I went to school with, and he is so near and dear to me, and I'm really excited to actually talk to him for the first time in a couple years, and that is Dr. Mark Davis. Dr. Mark Davis is a naturopathic doctor. He's very, very smart, by the way. He was like, you know, the smartest guy in school, I think. He probably won't think so, but I always saw him as like the smartest guy. He studied applied linguistics at the University of Maryland and naturopathic medicine at the National College of Natural Medicine, where I went. Where he graduated with honors and research, of course. In accordance with the classic naturopathic principle that most chronic diseases start in the gut, as I agree with, his practice is mostly focused on gastrointestinal disease and GI health. He's one of the few physicians in North America who has used fecal microbiota transplantation, or FMT, to treat in- inflammatory bowel disease, and he's published and lectured on the topic of FMT. He's in private practice at Bright Medicine Clinic in Portland, Oregon. And you can check him out at brightmedicineclinic.com, also at probioticinfusion.com, and here, wait for it, the long name, fecal transplantation.com. And he also hosts a popular podcast with Dr. Nolan Noska called Na- Naturocast, and you can check it out at thenaturocast.com. That's T-H-E-N-A-T-U-R-O-C-A-S-T.com. Dr. Mark, thanks so much for being on the show. Welcome to Dr. La Radio.
0: Hi, Lauren. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: It's so good to talk to you. How are you? Oh,
0: it's been too long. I'm really good. How are you?
1: <laughs> I want to give you a big hug right now i miss I miss <laughs> our 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 medical school hugs. I know we'll have to have one soon. I know and I remember our our photo that you had as your profile picture on Facebook for so long of us in our little medical jackets and our you know our stethoscopes just smiling and just geeking out on health.
0: I know. You're so fun to geek out on health with.
1: <laughs> Likewise. It must be the Aquarius in us, right?
0: Yes, yes, we have that in common.
1: <laughs> so, what's new? You're practicing in, in in Oregon and and seeing patients and doing GI health, right? And got your podcast?
0: Yeah, the podcast is fun. It's a little more uh smaller than yours, but I uh I love doing it. It's, it's mostly aimed at naturopathic medical students. So, we geek yeah. out on terminology sometimes, um, but uh, it can be fun for lay people, too, so I encourage people to check it out if they're interested.
1: Yeah, and Nolan is super fun and super geeky, too, and I, I listened to one of your shows you guys had, and I was cracking up. You guys are fun and yeah. and bring a lot we of knowledge to it, also. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: Very different perspective.
1: Yeah. Um, well... Yeah. You know what I was excited for with this show is, you know, I one thing I love about about your philosophy is you're very much in line with naturopathic principles, but you're also really open minded about trying really cutting edge therapies. You know, you have like a really cool blend of the two worlds.
0: Yeah, I think it's uh, turning a curse into a blessing, which is one. I get (laughs) I get bored easily, and so um, I I have to kind of do cutting edge stuff to keep myself interested. And, And the other one is. I'm not very subtle uh I, I, subtle things I miss often. I love my naturopath and acupuncturist friends who like really get subtle patterns and can help people that way. but somebody has to get really better for me to convince to be convinced that I had anything to do with it so right. um so I like things that get people really, really better, and so I have to work with therapies like that.
1: Right. I'm kind of the same way. Yeah. I'm a little aggressive with my treatments, but yeah. I would rather have like someone that. get be- get better in 3 to 6 months versus 2 years. Like I tend to do some more aggressive treatments. But that's just me. Yeah. I prefer that, you know. I'm too impatient. Yeah, me
0: too. Me too. <laughs> um
1: so so for this topic regarding, you know, the I mean, Obviously, we're going to talk about fecal transplants because that's kind of been the funny topic on, on um, Facebook today. I posted it, and everyone's all grossed out and interested at the same time. And yeah. we mentioned it here at the office, and the girls with the staff, they're like, ew, but they're like, tell me more about it. They're like grossed out yeah. and partly intrigued. So I know we'll talk a little bit about that, but before we jump into all that fun stuff, you, you mentioned the term the uh, superorganisms. What are superorganisms? Well,
0: that's us. We are a superorganism. Michael Pollan wrote a great article for the New York Times last week, Um, and I'm not remembering the title exactly right now, but where he talks about what we are. And if you were just your human cells, we would die and be miserable. In order to live in this universe, we need our human cells, we need our bacterial cells, we need our viral cells and our fungal cells, um, and they live in our microbiome. So the one with the most microbes is our gut microbiome, especially the colon microbiome. But we have a skin microbiome. Our skin is constantly crawling with uh, hundreds of billions of uh, organisms that are part of the skin immune system. Uh, We have an oral microbiome. Some of us have a vaginal microbiome. Uh, We have a scalp (laughs) microbiome, a nasal microbiome. Uh, There's a bladder microbiome. When we went to school together, I was taught that urine is sterile. Urine is not sterile. Urine is filled with healthy microbes. Um, Interesting. So all over, we're, we're teeming with, with organisms, and uh, the balance and ratios and types and amounts of organisms we have in different places have a lot to do with our health in those areas. So, so uh, really fascinating. In my, in my practice, yeah, I think about, I just don't think about treating just the human anymore. I really focus on treating the superorganism, which at this point in my practice more often it has to do with bacteria or viruses or helminths or fungi than it does our eukaryotic human cells.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are so, ten so times something. more something else than us, you know. It's, well, yeah, it's so crazy. That's a,
0: that's a little pop quiz that I give to people mm-hmm. at lectures. I say, what percent human are we? Is it uh, 99%? Is it 90% or is it 1%? Mm -hmm. And so uh, I'll I'll give you a little moment of silence for people to guess about that. (laughs) And and the answer is D, all of the above, depending on your perspective. So um, uh, about 99% of us is human by weight. We're only about three pounds microbes if you add it all up. Uh, But if you count the total number of cells, uh, we're – we're only 10% human. The rest of it is microbes. And then uh, if you count the genetic information, we're only 1% human. If you toss yourself in the blender and added up all the microbial uh, genetic information versus the human information, it's only 1% human and 99% genetic. Crazy yeah
1: that is so 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 cool, so fascinating and And where bacteria resides is different, depending on where in the body, right I mean, the colon versus the vagina versus the skin I mean there's different amounts of bacteria in d- different places of the body, right
0: yeah, in different types, and we're at the beginning of a kind of revolution where we're learning a lot about those microbes for the first time uh, mm-hmm. pcr polymerase chain reaction is becoming really cheap, and so we can sequence all kinds of microbiomes, and it's like every time somebody sequences one, it's like, oh, look, there's an undiscovered bacterium that we have to invent a name for, and we don't know how it acts, and we don't know what it does, and we have to discover what kind of family it is, and uh, I think in 15, 20 years, uh, what we're discovering now is going to have the potential for huge impact on human health. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And there's a, the, what is it, the Human Microbiome Project going on right now, yeah. right?
0: Yeah, working to uh, catalog the genetic information from our microbes, especially our gut microbes. Um, and the Human Genome Project, when they got into it, the researchers thought this is going to have huge impacts on human health, and it hasn't <laughs> very much. Right. Uh, for most clinicians and most patients, um, and so the Human Microbiome Project researchers are trying to be a little more cautious in what they're promising people, but they're right. still really excited, and so am I. And uh, already, uh, information from that impacts how I treat. Now, I use herbs, pharmaceuticals, hydrotherapy, every everything. I you know I I, I use homeopathy. Um, in my practice, and I use biotherapeutics, too. And when I'm using those things, I'm thinking about our microbiomes, but especially when I'm using biotherapeutics. So, biotherapeutics so what, what,
1: are bio, yeah, what are biotherapeutics for people who aren't familiar? Yeah, great. So
0: um, I, I recommend uh, it's the uh, Biotherapeutics Education and Research Foundation, uh, or BETTER, which is a non-profit that I have a lot of respect for, run by a medical doctor named Ron Sherman. Uh, And they're focused on biotherapeutics for health. So biotherapeutics is the use of any living organism for health. So in its Mm -hmm. most macroscopic forms, that includes uh, using horses or dogs as therapy. turns out um, it can be useful for some people just hang out with dogs and have that kind of interaction and pet them and that can help with depression and anxiety and extend the lives of the elderly Um, and it includes bee venom therapy which I learned a little bit about from Dr. Russell Mars Mm -hmm. and uh, it includes uh, probiotics, using probiotics at any time is an example of a biotherapeutic, it includes the use of therapeutic maggots and leeches, speaking of ew, uh, you can <laughs> you can buy medical maggots. In fact, they're covered under Medicaid-Medicare uh, to <laughs> breed festering wounds, and they're amazing at it. Um, wow. Yeah, and it includes use of phage, which I've used uh, phage a couple times, which is a type of virus that inhabits bacteria, and so you can give people phage, and you can give them this concentrated virus that only inhabits a particular type of bacterium to try and affect the amounts of that bacterium.
1: Wait, what kind of virus is it?
0: So they're called bacteriophages. Um, Oh, phage. uh,
1: Okay, got got it. I thought you said sage as in like the the herb. Okay, sorry. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah. Got it.
0: Okay. Um, Yeah, and it's produced, uh, it used to be produced by Bristol-Myers Squibb and other pharmaceutical companies Now it's mostly just produced in uh, the country of Georgia. Um, Yeah, and it's used for antibiotic-resistant bacterial infections in that country a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Saccharomyces boulardii, I'm sure you're familiar with, and that's Mm -hmm. an example of a fungal biotherapeutic, because that's a form of yeast, therapeutic yeast. And uh, helminthic therapy, are you familiar with that at all?
1: using parasites. I remember you were totally geeking out on that when we were in uh, our microbiology class, you know, and everyone's yeah. like, no, no, that's crazy. And you're like, no, let's talk more about it. Let's talk about uh, using no. parasites. I geek
0: out on it now. I actually uh, am very happy to say I, I have my first patient now who's intentionally infected with Nikita americanus*, the human hookworm. Um, and, uh, and we'll see how he does with that. It's, uh, a long-term therapy, I won't expect him to see benefit for six months minimum, uh, but there's potential for him to see a lot of benefit after that time, or maybe even beforehand.
1: Wow. Now, is that for the purpose of, uh, like, TH17 action? I remember we were talking about, yeah. you know, the, the the different branches of the immune system and used for autoimmune, and right?
0: You are such a genius with the TH, uh, different aspects of it. I don't really even understand TH17 personally, but TH3, yeah. uh, and nobody really knows the mechanisms by which these helmets work, um, but uh, we know there's at least some activity of TH3. And when you have a hmm. robust TH3 reaction, then out-of-control uh, TH1 and TH2 reactions uh, can become more in control.
1: Okay. So for our listeners yeah. who are like, What the heck are they talking about? So T H one and T H two are the are two main branches of immune function and in some autoimmune conditions you can have one that's elevated and in other autoimmune conditions you can have the other one that's elevated. And so that's yeah. why we look in naturopathic medicine we use immune modulating kinds of therapies like certain herbs and nutrients that help to balance out the branches. And what you're saying is that the T H three, if one of the T H one or two is crazy out of balance, then it helps to basically bring that back into balance, right?
0: Yeah, and um, okay. it's another relatively new therapy that uh, we're still still learning a lot about, and I still only have a very rough sense of who will benefit from it or who mm-hmm. won't benefit from it. So, um, uh, but but generally, the people who have potential to benefit from it are people with autoimmune or allergic disease.
1: Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. What else?
0: Well. I wanted to plug, before we get into the fecal transplant uh, issue, which I love talking about, I wanted to plug a book uh, that came out last year, and it's called An Epidemic of Absence A New Way of Understanding Allergies and Autoimmune Disease. It's got by a guy named Moises Velasquez Manoff, Um, and it is the single most interesting read about humans as superorganisms that's on the market today, in my opinion. Mm. Mm. And uh, and what the author means by the title, an epidemic of absence, is that the epidemic of autoimmune and allergic chronic disease uh, that we're seeing today might have less to do with infectious microbes that are present in those people, but with parts of their superorganism that are absent, that mm-hmm. historically were with their ancestors but aren't with them anymore uh, and, and might have to do with contributing to a dysregulated immune system.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Can I give so you an example?
1: Please.
0: Okay. So this is the most interesting example. Uh it comes from his book, and it, it comes from the island of Sardinia. Sardinia is an island uh, off the coast of Italy, and um shakespeare i think referred to it as uh an an island of uh, uh some kind of island wasteland or something like that because it is uh a very low land very um low topography and so there are a ton of mosquitoes and so there's a ton of plasmodium uh, falciparum the causative organism of malaria mm-hmm. um so for all time, there's a very high incidence of malaria in Sardinia, much more than in mainland Italy. So uh, mm-hmm. for hundreds of years, many generations, Sardinians have been evolving with Plasmodium falciparum uh, as part of their microorganism, part of their superorganism, uh, part of their microbiome. and mm-hmm. um, uh, And so they've developed an immune system which is ready to cope with malaria. Um, wow. And since people have been looking at it since the early 1900s, Sardinians have had an average incidence of uh, multiple sclerosis and autoimmune diseases in general. About two for every 100,000 uh, people in Sardinia and in most of the world have multiple sclerosis. Now, in the 1950s, The Rockefeller Foundation comes in, and they want to do good works in there, in Sardinia. And they say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to get rid of all these damn mosquitoes and uh, and get rid of this malaria. And they launch a very effective mosquito eradication program in Sardinia. And uh, mosquito levels drop dramatically. uh, Malaria levels drop dramatically. And since that time, there's been an abrupt increase in the incidence of malaria, it, it doubled, and it almost doubled again. Instead in the 1990s. So instead of hmm. 2 per 100,000, it's about 7 per 100,000, pretty much the highest in the world. Hmm. And the theory behind that is that Sardinians tend to have an immune system which is primed to be well, what would be hyperreactive in other parts of the world, uh, but to have a very strong reaction to... Relatively minor thing, which keeps people a little bit more defended against malaria. Um, mm-hmm. But in the absence of malaria, that, that immune system gun is primed and it is firing, and it ends up firing on our own brain cells and on other parts of us that make them prone, more prone to other kinds of autoimmune disease as well. And that's hmm. the story of Sardinia.
1: So they, they got more malaria or they got more autoimmune diseases?
0: Uh, they've always had more malaria. And when they got less malaria, instead, what they got is more autoimmune diseases and more uh, more multiple sclerosis specifically.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah. So what's behind this huge boom that we can track in uh, increase of autoimmune disease and allergic disease in the developed world? It's not specifically in most places the absence of malaria, but could mm-hmm. it be the absence of hookworm, of, mm-hmm. uh, of whipworm, of uh, other bacteria, like fecal bacterium uh, fecal bacterium uh of lactobacilli in fermented foods? Um, to, you know, Is that part of what's going on for us? I, I mm-hmm. think more and more that that is the answer. And so that's why I, I think about people's microbiomes a lot when I'm treating them.
1: Yeah, and I, I think about the downstream effects of, you know, being exposed to things that throw off our gut flora, you know, like antibiotics. I mean, I, I, it's so rare that I actually have a patient who says, I've never been on antibiotics before. It's like one out of 100 maybe, you know. It's just right. it's so rare, and it's like all of our flora is altered at this point for the most part. Yeah,
0: and we have clear evidence now from the recent literature that uh, children who are exposed to more antibiotics, as adults have a significantly increased chance of having uh, inflammatory bowel disease, which I mm-hmm. treat a lot at this point in mm-hmm. my practice, and mm-hmm. um, so that just makes us think that a big cause and a factor in inflammatory bowel disease and other conditions is a disordered colon microbiome.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what are the main things, in your opinion, that or that you know in the literature, really that alters the microflora, the healthy microflora throughout the body, in various parts of the body?
0: Well, some of those things we've been altering as a culture for
1: generations
0: now. And it's hard sometimes to make individual interventions that can make a difference. Uh, For example, in uh, 1910, uh, 90% of people in Florida had the human hookworm. Well, I'm testing. Um, Until at this point in the 1990s, I think it's something like 20% or 10%, way, way lower. Um, And and that's where it's been studied most in the American South uh, as far as where it's been studied in the United States because that's where it was most common. So, um, again, the Rockefeller Foundation came in in the 1940s and said, oh, look, all these Southerners are infected with hookworms, let's eradicate them. And they went through these big eradication programs. I think they were really just doing their dryness to help because it's true. Sure. Huge infections of human hookworm. if you have hundreds to thousands of hookworms, you can become anemic because they're consuming yeah. some of your blood. Um, but even the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, uh, says, if someone has a mild infection of hookworm in the dozens to maybe even low hundreds, there's no medical reason to treat that because it's not harmful to their host. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's what most people had. And, uh, and so uh, I, when I give people, when I think about suggesting to people that they intentionally infect themselves with human hookworm, they're infecting in the dozens to low hundreds. And they might experience some transient flu like symptoms, uh, or there's the occasional person who doesn't tolerate it well, but generally it's very well tolerated uh, can be tremendously beneficial to people with allergies uh chronic fatigue crohn's disease um, and and at this point, I think of it as part of the normal flora for most people hmm. so to answer your question more uh What are things that mess with our normal flora? In some cases, it's big-picture, generation-wide interventions that have messed with our normal flora, including Mm -hmm. antibiotics in cattle feed, uh, antibiotics as a super-common intervention for humans, antibacterial soaps, um, uh, and then in some cases, uh, it's specific things that happen to a human. So the things that I can think of off the top of my head include being born by C-section, being bottle-fed instead of breastfed, not having contact with animals, including farm animals, um, Mm -hmm. having antibiotics prescribed to you. Uh, I would guess that eating antibiotic-laden foods probably is a contributor.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, And also,
0: certain infectious disease can alter your normal microbiome. Uh, Like Mm -hmm. having an acute gastroenteritis sometimes can set up your microbiome for uh, changes that can be damaging and Mm long-lasting.
1: And pesticides and GMOs, right? You know,
0: I don't have clear evidence of those, but uh, I personally steer away from them for myself and my family. I I don't have convincing evidence that they do or don't alter our microbiome, Mm -hmm. but my best guess is they alter our health in one way or another.
1: Mm-hmm. I know Jeffrey Smith has has some good literature on um, the on GMOs and how it affects, you know, gut health and flora. So, yeah. 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 Awesome. It's it's so crazy. It's so, so widespread. It's insane. So, you know, for for those people who are like, hey, you know, I'm not going to do some hookworms, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, yeah. options for them. I mean, the fact is, is if they've ever done antibiotics, they've wiped out so much of their good flora, including myself. So I don't want to, you know, cause doom sure. for everyone else and not me. I, you know, I've been on a sure. fair share. As I told my audience, I used to pop that like Pez when I was a kid, you know. And um, so, so you know, taking probiotics, it's not going to guarantee that I'm going to have the, the right bacteria regrow, essentially, or repopulate. So that's where I think the... Um, the human feces transplant is so, so interesting. And I'm not saying I'm going to do that necessarily, but I'm really interested. So tell me a little bit about that as a as an approach. How does it work? Just tell me what you know about it. It's fascinating.
0: Great. Yeah, so um, uh, if you're taking an over-the-counter probiotic that might have lactobacillus or acidophilus, might have saccharomyces boulardii or even E. coli nifl-1917, one, well, there's a pretty 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 limited range of organisms that we take over the counter, maybe a couple of dozen. And uh, and the thing that they all have in common is that they're all oxygen tolerant. So they're all uh, aerobic species or facultative aeros. Um, and they have to be that in order to exist in pill form in our world that has a lot of oxygen in it. And uh, when you look at your colon microbiome, it's about 90%, uh, 98% anaerobic. Um, so although uh, I believe in probiotics, I, I take them and I give them to my family and I suggest them for my patients all the time, uh, there's a limited ability there to uh, replenish um, your normal colon flora. And in fact, uh, most of those organisms are not need of colon flora at all. Lactobacillus acidophilus is not a normal part of your gut flora. It's a normal part of the flora of fermented food. And uh, I tell people all the time that if you think of your intestinal microbiome as a, an ecosystem or a community or a neighborhood, Lactobacillus acidophilus is like a friendly stranger that comes through town and picks up litter and pets the dog and give, gives people hugs and then leaves again. (laughs) Like the Bacillus and it pretty much doesn't stick around in there, but it's really nice and helpful while it's there. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes for people with mild digestive complaints, that is all they need. I've sometimes given probiotics as a solo intervention and had people benefit, and that was was it. That was all they needed. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, another intervention I sometimes give is just demulcent herbs, slippery elm or marshmallow or licorice, uh, as a cold infusion overnight and taken on a daily basis for some weeks to months. Sometimes is the only intervention that people with mild GI complaints need to have a long-lasting good uh, benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some people, the the actual cause, of their, their disease or their problems is about anaerobic organisms that are missing or ana- anaerobic organisms that are present and causing harm. And for those mm-hmm. people, it is really, really hard to intervene with, uh, with probiotics or herbs in my opinion.
1: Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh,
0: so fecal microbiota transplantation is uh, the process of, Uh, collecting stool from a a healthy person who I've determined to be healthy through taking a a thorough history, doing physical exams, and doing lots and lots of lab work, even for people who appear to be very healthy. We test their blood and their stool for dozens and dozens of organisms that theoretically could be harmful if they were passed Mm -hmm. on. So we screen people, uh, we collect their stool, and we uh, filter out the fiber, leaving us with essentially a liquid slurry called a fecal slurry that is uh, filled with (laughs) trillions, with a T, of healthy uh, microbes, including bacteria and viruses uh, that are absolutely essential for health in some people's cases. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are some docs, who I've talked to, mostly gastroenterologists, who administer the fecal flurry or fecal slurry extracts through the upper GI. They either give it through nasogastric tube or in capsule form if it's been spun down and the bacteria has been isolated. Uh, and that can be valuable. Uh, the, either of those approaches has been shown to cure antibiotic-resistant C. diff colitis in most cases. Uh, but there's potential for harm there. You're taking organisms that belong in the colon and you're exposing the esophagus, uh, the stomach, well, not the esophagus necessarily, but the stomach and the small intestine to those organisms where or perhaps in the future uh, they, they could grow, the wrong kinds of organisms could could grow. Uh, so uh, most docs administer it through the lower GI, through colonoscope, or through enema. Mm-hmm. And that's what I do. I administer it via enema. And uh, uh, in some cases, it doesn't help people at all. In some cases, it helps some or a lot. And in a significant portion of cases of inflammatory bowel disease in particular that I work with, uh, it can be a life changer. It can turn people's lives around. Um, And that's when it's really gratifying to work with and when I'm really convinced that I'm doing something.
1: That is so, so interesting. And is it a one-time thing? Is it a numerous treatments for months? I mean, what's the frequency look like?
0: So for uh, for C diff colitis, which I've treated a handful of cases of antibiotic-resistant C diff colitis, it's anywhere from one to five infusions at the rate of one infusion per day. Uh, I've cured people in as little as one infusion, and in some people, I've I've had to administer as many as five. Um, and in one patient so far, we're still working together, I have not yet managed to cure her of her C. diff colitis. She also has had IBS for many years and has a, something called microscopic colitis. So she's a little bit complicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then with most other chronic disease, I start with a baseline of 10 days at one infusion per day. Uh, and that's a, a retention enema that's intended to be uh, held in the rectum for four to six hours.
1: Um, And in
0: uh, some cases, I've used up to 30 or 40 infusions to be able to get a durable response uh, that seems long-lasting. And in some people, uh, I even keep them on – I've had to keep them on a a maintenance dose of once a week or so and have not yet been able to – or have not yet decided to take them off that dose because – I, I think there's a chance that they could come out of remission if they if they went off at this time.
1: Mm-hmm. So I mean, hey, if someone has inflammatory bowel disease, they you know, and they pretty much the only option with conventional treatment is immune suppressant corticosteroids. You know, I, I think a fecal transplant sounds pretty good, really. Yeah, people
0: talk about the yuck factor, and uh, there was a group at the University of Chicago that did a study where they interviewed people with ulcerative colitis or parents of kids with ulcerative colitis. And they said, well, what do you think about this therapy? Is it too yucky? And they all said, you don't know what yucky is until you've had ulcerative colitis. Um, right. You know, 5, 10, 20 urgent, watery, bloody bowel movements a day is yucky. It really, really decreases your quality of life. And it makes you think of yuck in an entirely new way. Um Right. And, and that's what people with inflammatory bowel disease or C. diff colitis can be really, really decrease your quality of life. And uh, and a poo transplant starts to seem not so yucky anymore after that. Right. Yeah.
1: What about other conditions? I mean, we talked about inflammatory bowel diseases, like ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. Are there other conditions that might benefit from this therapy?
0: That is a great question. The doc who's published more about this than probably anyone in the world, is an Australian gastroenterologist named Tom Barodi. and He's treated uh, well over a thousand individuals over the past decade uh, with antibiotic-resistant C. diff colitis, with uh, inflammatory bowel disease, and he's also treated a lot of people with chronic constipation. He said to me on the phone once, at this point, I don't think that chronic constipation has anything to do with diet or lifestyle because I can pretty much always reverse it with fecal microbiota transplantation. (laughs) That was my Australian accent. Thank you very much. That was
1: amazing. I didn't even know that was you on the phone anymore. (laughs) Can you do a little bit Um, again? Just a little bit?
0: I can pull out another one later, another one of my favorite quotes. I'll do it now, which is that he gives everyone he treats with chronic disease uh, seven to ten days worth of vancomycin, and rifampin, and metronidazole. And so huh. when I started doing this, I, I asked him, uh, well, what about your patients who decline the antibiotic pretreatment? Do they still have good outcomes or do they do not do well? And he said, everybody, by the time people get to me, they're so desperate, you'll do anything I tell them to. I've never had somebody decline antibiotic pretreatment. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh,
1: so he so, so he doesn't rely only on the, the fecal transplant. He does antibiotic pretreatment and then basically recolonates it, That's right. right.
0: He, he does a whole program where he uh, restricts fiber for at least two weeks. Because fiber, by definition, is chains of carbohydrates that humans don't produce the enzymes to break down, but our colon flora do. So fiber is food for colon flora. And uh, so he restricts fiber for at least two weeks. Uh, He gives seven to ten days' worth of three very strong, relatively broad-spectrum antibiotics. Uh, And then he gives a big dose of polyethylene glycol, which is an osmotic laxative that makes people have strong, watery diarrhea. So he starves the colon flora, he poisons the ones that are left, and then he washes out any ones that survived the poisoning. Um, And for some, you know, it's it's a flash-and-burn-and-repopulate kind of approach, and I've done exactly his protocol with some patients uh, and modifications with many patients uh, because initially I told my patients, we don't actually have data about people doing this without antibiotic pretreatment, so we don't know how mm-hmm. valuable it is. And mm-hmm. to tell you the truth, some of my best responders have used no antibiotic pretreatment and have had mm-hmm. amazing, life-changing results. Uh, I want to mention in particular a 2-year-old boy with uh, ulcerative ulcerative pancolitis, so it was in his whole colon. Uh, His mom called me from the hospital saying, hey, my two-year-old boy has had, uh, I think it was three blood transfusions just in the previous month and many Mm -hmm. beforehand because he was losing so much blood out of his colon. He said Mm -hmm. that our doctors are uh, suggesting we surgically remove his colon uh, because at that age, it's hard to say if it's ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease. Sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, well, not, well, sometimes they remove the colon, and it turns out to be Crohn's disease, and and there's some in the small intestine, and your quality of life really diminishes again. Uh, but they were saying, let's remove the colon, and she said, is there anything to do to save my little boy's colon? And at that point, uh, Tom Barodi does not treat children, and so there was literally nothing in the literature. And, uh, and I said, well, I don't know, because there's nothing in the literature, but uh, I've used it with adults. I think it's probably very safe for your child, and there's a the possibility of benefit. So in our first office appointment, uh, it was one hour long, and he had three diapers changed that just were filled with blood during that one mm. hour. That's mm. how he was doing. And, uh, and we treated him with daily FMT by day five, Blood was gone. Uh, and by t- day 10, he was just having two to four bloodless, mucusless, nuke- nu- relatively formed bowel movements per day, which is wow. a huge, a miracle. huge turnaround. Yeah, it, it was, was a, like miracle. a miracle.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Uh, that was, oh, a year and a half ago. He's still not off all his meds. Uh, he's gone through some ups and downs uh, during that time. But uh, FMT was uh used several times as an intervention he 's not doing it anymore, um, and he's symptom free at this time. I just talked to his mom yesterday, actually, and she said, We thank God all the time for our trip to portland and in uh, working with you Aww. because f m p was a huge part of his recovery and yeah, so i 'm uh, very happy about." That experience, among many yeah. others, with inflammatory bowel disease. Yeah.
1: Well, you're you're a dad, so you you sympathize with that even more, I'm sure. So did oh, did you yeah. use you know, did you use the mother's stool by the way?
0: I did for that patient. I used the mother's stool. Um, I've worked with a handful of kids now, and uh, I have a I have had a donor bank in Portland. I still have the donor bank. Um, as a side note, just last month the FDA. Uh, sent out a notice to everybody in the nation who's using FMT as an intervention, and they said, we want everybody to desist except for emergency, immediately life-threatening uh, cases, because we're considering fecal flurry to be a biological agent and a drug, and we want everyone to apply for investigational new drug status for each indication that they want to use it for. So. Wow. uh that's definitely been an interruption to my practice Uh, 'cause that's most, you know, most of what I do probably 75% of my practice has been administering FMT to people who need it.
1: Um, wow. That's amazing.
0: Yeah. I've spent probably 40 to 50 hours so far on the on the application and there's a lot more to go, but I am uh, applying to use it initially for inflammatory bowel disease and later for other indications as well. Um, and actually, if people care to go to uh I- anybody who wants to support my efforts, uh, I'm accepting donations now for uh, to put together an FDA-compliant uh, system to be able to administer it so I can have my IND accepted.
1: Awesome. Well, that will only help yeah. your patients even more. It's really great. For you guys who yeah. just tuned into the show and, and just, just started listening, we're talking to Dr. Mark Davis. He's an amazing the doctor. We're talking about human microbes, and I'm going to open up the phone lines for a few minutes. If you'd like to call and ask a question, it's 818-495-6919. It's 818-495-6919. I have a bunch of uh, Facebook questions, and I see some people here on the switchboard. If you'd like to ask a question, just go ahead and press 1, and I can bring you on the air, and you can ask, ask your question. Um, or even leave a comment or maybe a testimonial or something. Um, so I'm going go to go here to the Facebook questions, Doc. Um, let's see. One question is from Tamara. She wants to know, can you please talk about SIBO? What's your approach with SIBO and um, anything you'd like to say about it?
0: Well, that's a great question. Um, I cross-refer a lot with Dr. Allison Seebecker, who specializes mm-hmm. in SIBO. I test a lot of people with SIBO, um, I have a theory that there are some people with SIBO-associated, constipation-predominant IBS who the main cause of their, uh, or a big contributing cause to their uh, small intestine bacterial overgrowth is uh, dysbiosis in the colon. So if we can fix their colon flora and knock out their small intestine bacterial overgrowth, there's a the possibility they could have a durable medication-free recovery. Um, it's just a pet theory. Uh I've tried it with one person so far, um, who we uh who did not see benefit. Uh we we failed in knocking out her small intestine bacterial overgrowth and so we're gonna try again with her later this year. Uh and I'm currently on day one, literally day one of trying it with a second person and we're mm-hmm. uh, she's doing ten infusions. So uh mostly mm-hmm. I refer SIBO a lot. Um I I've used Uh, herbal therapies with it to some degree uh, with some mixed success. I've used antibiotic Mm -hmm. therapy with uh, mostly benefit with relapse has been my experience. It only worked with maybe eight patients. So uh, I'm not Mm -hmm. really an expert in that area and I, I wish I had more to share with you.
1: Yeah, and we, we've had Dr. Seebecker on the show, and um, so for Tamara, you can go ahead and check on check that show out that we did probably about a year, year and a half ago. Uh, we should probably have Dr. Seebecker back on. Um, Doc, what is your favorite lab to use to diagnose SIBO in your experience? Because I've been testing through Commonwealth labs, and I feel like almost every time I do test it, and I'm really, really suspecting it, it's, it's actually negative. You
0: know, I'm here in Portland, so I just use NCNM's lab. Um, mm, okay. Dr. Seebecker goes over there pretty regularly and checks on them and keeps them on task, making sure that they're up to date with the right ways to use the machinery and everything. So mm. I trust them a lot. And uh, Quintron makes okay. the same machinery that uh, Commonwealth uses, but they just have a, um, a pretty trained staff there. So I, I actually okay. have never used another lab, so I can't compare, but um, I, I do like them a lot.
1: Okay, awesome. Cool. All right, I'm going to take it to the phone lines. We have a caller from the 858. You're on Dr. Low Radio. What's your name and where are you calling from?
0: Hi, this is Dave from San Diego.
1: Hey, Dave. What's your question?
0: Hey, thanks for another great show.
1: Thanks. Sure.
0: I was wondering, is it possible, uh, I know like an antibiotic could destroy healthy bacteria. Is that also true of like an herbal antibiotic? Could it have the same effect? And the other thing I was wondering is... As far as um, parasites go, are they always bad or is it possible to have a parasite that's actually good for you? Those are two really great questions. Um, Well, first of all, uh, it seems like in general, our colon microbiomes and our our bacteria in general have evolved alongside Mm -hmm. these phytonutrients for long enough that uh, they don't wipe out healthy flora. We know that for garlic. Garlic does not wipe out healthy chloride, although it can wipe out pathogens. And, uh, and we know that to some degree for berberine containing herbs like golden seal, Oregon grape, Coptis chinensis. Uh, so, um, in, in general, they don't. Um, it seems like the more, the farther you get from a complex phytonutrient profile uh, to an isolate, the more possible it is. People use oregano oil, oregano essential oil, as a strong antimicrobial, very powerful, and it can knock out pathogens, Uh, but it seems like it can have some negative impact on healthy human flora, too. Um, Oh, and then the second question, can parasites be good for you? Um, You know, technically, the word parasite means that it draws from you uh, without offering you any benefit, but some organisms traditionally classified uh, as parasites are actually commensal or they, uh, they can offer you benefit. So an example of a commensal would be Enterobius vermicularis, or the human pinworm. Uh, I listened to another great podcast called um, uh, This Week in, in uh, Parasitology, or TWIP, hmm. and uh, I learned on that show uh, what percentage of kids get pinworm at some point. And the surprise answer, 100%. 100% of us, by the time we're adults, have antibodies to pinworm. So we all get In it. Way. And does it cause any damage? No. Does it cause any benefit? Not as far as we know. Other mm-hmm. organisms like human pinworm or, uh, I'm sorry, human hookworm or human whipworm, seems like they can offer really significant benefit to some people. And that's why I recently suggested to a patient that he intentionally inoculate with a uh, human hookworm and, uh, and I, I, I expect that he'll see benefit from it. Uh, people who are interested can go to a great Facebook or Yahoo interest group about homistic therapy where there's really knowledgeable people commenting on that all the time.
1: Awesome. And uh, Dave's uh, call dropped, it looks like, but hopefully he'll be able to listen in and hear your answer. So great questions, Dave. And uh, this question comes from Amir, and he's curious about bacterial vaginosis. Just want to know our, you know, our perspectives on that and how to treat that.
0: Um, Well, great. Actually, uh, we're having Dr. Abigail Ayapola on the Mm NatureCast.com podcast in uh, a few weeks to talk about bacterial vaginosis and the bacterial uh, microbiome. So I hope she'll be able to shed some light on that. But uh, I can say just through a quick troll in PubMed, your bacterial that uh, were not emirs probably but uh women's bacterial microbiome has a huge thing to do with bacterial vaginosis or, or uh bacterial yeast infection and uh looking at pubmed there are oral probiotic interventions and as well as uh topically applied vaginal uh um probiotic interventions that uh statistically versus placebo have huge benefit in decreasing occurrences of bacterial vaginosis and uh, uh, yeast vaginosis.
1: So, yeah, mm-hmm. I think
0: that it's all about the microbiome in that instance.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also, Amir, you can tune in to the show I did with Dr. Carrie Jones called How to Have a Healthy Vagina, and we talk all about yeah. how to treat bacterial vaginosis using natural treatments at rocked. Um awesome. Cool. And uh, here's a question from Megan. <laughs> she said, "Is it actually possible to get pink eye from farting on a pillow
0: <laughs> i I doubt it I doubt it i don't know <laughs> i don't want I don't want to enroll people in that randomized controlled trial <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's not going to be the assignment to try for next week, and everyone report back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I guess it depends if it's a clothed fart or an unclothed fart, maybe maybe so. Yeah, maybe so. Um and then okay, let's see here. Do, 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 do. I think that was. Oh, uh this is from Marjorie and she says I've been hearing a lot about the Worm cleanse. Is it worth the money? Have you heard of humoworm? Do you have I don't on know it? about it. Nope, no thought. I don't know about it much either. Um I I think from my brief very limited research on it, I think it's anti-parasitic kind of herbs. Um but I don't know a whole ton about it, so I probably couldn't speak to that too. Um, from, uh, I think it's pronounced Arake, he says, Hi, I was wondering if you could tell me some nutritional and herbal tips for gums. My gums bleed even from brushing.
0: Well, that's a good one. Um, there is one uh, oral probiotic that has some support in the literature, and it's uh, it's a range of organisms that have BLIS, K, D-L-I-S, BLIS hyphen K um, which is an acronym and I forget for what um, but they're organisms that uh, are secreting um, substances that uh, tend to be helpful for healthy for gums and reduce inflammation in gums um, I will say also uh, that I use antibiotics in my practice uh, like anything I think that I think Paracelsus said the difference between a poison and a medicine is the dose. And I would expand that to say the dose and the timing and picking the right one uh, for the right person. And uh, I use antibiotics in my practice where I think they're indicated. And one place uh, where I think it could be indicated is, in uh, gingivitis. Persistent mm-hmm. gingivitis is horrible. It can be painful. It can lead to necessarily uh, surgical removal of teeth, which nobody wants to happen. And... Uh, there was a great randomized controlled trial uh, where um, individuals with who had been recommended for surgery because of how bad their gingivitis was uh, were given a course of antibiotics uh or placebo, and the group that were given antibiotics targeted specifically at anaerobic organisms organisms found deep in the pits the pockets of their gums uh had a way, way lower rate of actually having to have the surgery. Mm. And uh, I dug a little deeper into the literature because, uh, you know, of course, I, like anyone, wants to avoid the systemic effects of antibiotics. And another group did a great study where they took these tiny little slivers of uh, antibiotic paper and inserted them into the pockets where the harmful anaerobic microbes were. And they had great results with that, too. So something maybe to talk to your dentist about is uh, if you have gum bleeding, gum pain, gingivitis, uh, to see if they'd be willing to uh, look in those pockets for harmful anaerobic organisms and maybe target them with topical antibiotic uh, therapy.
1: Hmm. Super interesting. And also, too, you know, I would say for, um, for Eric is, is looking at nutritional deficiencies as well different B vitamins, for example, like B12. Yes. Um, folic acid is really important. There's a, a supplement that a lot of naturopathic doctors use called foly Rinse. It's a, um, a liquid folic acid you can kind of swish around your mouth and swallow it down, and that's um, real important for gums. And then, you know, vitamin C and vitamin K. So maybe looking yes. into some nutritional deficiency testing as well would be worth looking into for that.
0: Absolutely, um, right. Scurvy is commonly associated with bleeding of the gum. very rare to have it ranked vitamin C deficiency in this day and age, but not impossible. Mm-hmm.
1: Never know. It's told, I mean, with the standard yeah. American diet, anything is possible, totally right? Totally true, yeah. <laughs> um, And, okay, this question is from Ted. He wants to know, what are your thoughts on blood tests for candida? If you get one, is there a specific one you can recommend?
0: I don't use blood tests for candida. I, I just um, either use stool cultures or stool PCR. Uh, that's looking Mm -hmm. for genetic, uh, for DNA from Candida. And those are the two ways that I evaluate the levels of Candida in people's gut.
1: Yeah, same here. Yeah, I mean, generally, if you're going to show positive on some Candida blood test, you're going to be probably pretty sick and probably in the hospital. (laughs) So um, I'm assuming if Ted's writing to us from his computer, he's probably not in that case in that uh, population. Um, cool. And then a uh, question for you, too. What, what's your favorite probiotic to recommend, just kind of general, you know, digestive support that has, like, a nice blend of all different kinds of strains of bacteria?
0: That's a great question, too. And um, that is way more in the art of science, to uh, so the mm-hmm. art of medicine than the science of medicine at this point. And I mostly suggest that people just be detectives and try out different kinds and see how they feel. Uh, I think there's actually more people having negative reactions to probiotics than we know about because uh, there haven't been a lot of uh, large randomized controlled trials looking at it. Um, But I've had patients who've had apparently negative reactions. Personally, one that I feel really good on is uh, the new chapter or new mark. It's Mm -hmm. a lot lower um, dose uh, in terms of the number of billions of colony-forming units than a lot of other probiotics, uh, but I really think I feel good on it, um, and that's what I share with my family too. But I use lots of other ones. I use the uh, the PBA, and I use Clare Labs. I use VSL mm-hmm. number three. I use the um, the HMF product. Um, kind of all depending on what's going on with a particular individual.
1: Right. Same. Yeah. I've been using Strengthia from Apex and Orthobiotic powder from Orthomolecular and. Claire Labs love them, and I just get you know varying results with depending on the patient. So I think it's all very individualized. Yeah. Um, this question comes from Kira, and she said, "Is it bad to have sex after you poop?" <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, well, there is something called sexual hygiene. Um, That's like be a fun <laughs> show for you to have one. And um, uh, so, you don't want to have fecal residue uh, on the anal or perineum when you're having sex and you don't want to have anal sex followed uh, by uh, vaginal sex without any cleansing in between. Uh, but otherwise, should be fine to take a poo and then uh, have fun together.
1: And please just pee after.
0: <laughs> yes, excellent.
1: Yeah. Um, okay, and then a couple last questions here, if you don't mind. I know we're running over time a little bit. Do you have a couple more minutes?
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I have as much time as you need.
1: Awesome. So this is from Megan. She said... Um, what kind of bacteria is associated with ingrown hairs? What can I do? I
0: don't remember. I think that's staph uh, yeah. dermatitum or something, folliculum. Yeah. Or, um, that's what I'm thinking too. <laughs> yeah, and uh, what can you do about those? Uh, I don't actually know. Do you have any insights into that, Dr. Lowe? Um.
1: I would say, for one, just a really, you know, clean, clean uh, razors. I would say um, maybe using some coconut oil just because it's so antimicrobial. And then also, yeah. too, I know that there, there's actually some probiotic soaps um, and probiotic lotions. I don't know if I can remember the exact brand. I remember they had that at some of the, um, you know, medical conferences. So that's something worth looking into, maybe just some probiotic uh, lotions and soaps.
0: Yeah, I, I will say that um, researchers have found a significant time related correlation between changes in the skin microbiome and flares of atopic dermatitis in people who mm-hmm. have eczema. So, definitely, your skin microbiome has to do with uh, your skin health, but I'm just not exactly sure how to intervene there. I think your ideas are great.
1: Okay, thanks. <laughs> and how about just, you know, some practical takeaways for people? What are just some top practical tips to have a healthy microbiome?
0: Well, it starts uh, for you um, people. It starts with people who are considering having babies, um, moms uh, avoiding antibiotics immediately before pregnancy and during pregnancy, uh, moms who are in contact with five or more Species of animals during their pregnancy are significantly uh, more likely to have kids without allergies and some autoimmune disease, I think. Um, so my 17-month-old twins, uh, when their mom was pregnant, I said, "I said, all right, go hang out with the chickens, fill it in, and now hang out with the dog and go pet some cats." And I mean, I wasn't ordering her around, but I encouraged uh, a lot of species. Um, and if you know, it, it's at all possible have a vaginal birth. Breastfeed your kids, uh, and then introduce your kids to a wide variety of fiber foods at as much of an early age as you can. Um, And then for actual individuals, if you tolerate them, uh, consume a wide variety of fiber foods. uh, Eat fermented foods, and again, a wide variety, because different types of fiber break down in different parts of the colon and feed different types of microbes, different species. Um, Avoid antibiotic interventions when they're not absolutely medically necessary. Uh, yeah, and then drink plenty of water. Like anything else, keep your general health good, get enough sleep, eat enough food, try not to have too much stress.
1: Awesome. Rock on, Doc. Any uh, parting words for our listeners?
0: Uh, no, it was really great to be on your show, Lauren. Thanks for having me.
1: I know. It's a, it a joy to have you, and I hope we can uh, hang out sometime in the near future. You can come down to San Diego, or I can hang out with you up in Portland, and we can catch up.
0: Oh, that sounds
1: great. Yeah. So our listeners can learn more about you at brightmedicineclinic.com? Yes. Very cool. And then your your podcast is com, right? Yes. Tune in. Awesome. Awesome. Well, have a wonderful evening. Say so hi to the family, and um, I'll talk to you real soon. I'll tell you to say hi. Thanks
0: for having me, Lauren.
1: Of course. Take care. Bye.
0: Uh,
1: All right, guys, that is the show. Thank you for tuning in. I loved that show. That was like in my top ten for sure. That was awesome. So much fun, of course. I love talking about anything poop-related, as you guys know, and um, I think that's going to help a lot of people. And, of course, guys, if you're dealing with some real difficult digestive things, I mean, look up Dr. Mark. He's amazing. Um, So you could check out his website, even fly up to Portland, it sounds like it'd really be worth the flight. Um, especially for you guys out there really suffering. So um, glad to be able to bring him to your airwaves. Uh, Next week's show, for all you prospective ND students, that is the show for you. It's called So You Want to Be an ND. And I'm going to be talking about what's required to become a naturopathic doctor, what the uh, education looks like, um, income, what's the fee to be a naturopathic doctor, um, all all you know, kind of frequently asked questions in that whole realm. And I'm going to have a few highlighted doctors on the show to talk about their practices and different um, specialties. So tune into that. It'll be a lot of fun. Of course, check me out on my website, drlaurennoel.com. If you're not on the newsletter list, sign up and have a wonderful week. And I will talk to you next week. Bye.